Classic Harrison Price for Tuesday, October 31st, Halloween. Happy Halloween. 2023. We're coming to you from the Go-Go Sports Studio built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. And if you're heading to a game, say this weekend, there are a couple huge ones. Saturday, Sunday. Make it a stay t- staycation. Call the Wall Center, 604-331-1000. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price, Grace Sassett, and Switches conducting things this show. Presentation of Applewood Auto Group. We're right now at Infinity in the Richmond Auto Mall. You can drive at least the 2023 QX50 from 3.49%. The 23QX60 from 2.99%. Then at the Nissan dealerships, Applewood Nissan Richmond, Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Surrey. Finance the 23 Rogue from 3.99%. Then there's the Leaf. Lease or finance from 6.99%. Because, Blake. Well, it's all. Good at Applewood. Bodog poll question today. Who will be the first to break out of their slump? Anthony Beauvillier, Connor Garland, Dakota Joshua, Pius Suter. You can vote at Sikharison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports. You can vote on YouTube as well, where Grady monitors the voting. Bodog line of the day for me. Line stamps Saturday in the West semifinal. I would not be surprised to see BC's defense carry the day as it has so many times this season against a Calgary passing game that, let's face it, is not necessarily up to snuff. No, Calgary's had success running the football, but you should be able to load the box here and stop the run. So I'm going to go under 50 points on your Bodog line of the day. Uh, Before we get into some Canucks news and notes, give me your Answer to the poll question. Which of those four guys do you think? Um, To be honest, I don't have a ton of confidence in anybody on that list right now. Um, I I guess I'll go with the guy with the most offensive pedigree and say it's Connor Garland. But I haven't liked the the trend of really all, all four of them offensively. Now, I think Suter does things well defensively. I think Dakota Joshua... Uh, occupies space decently. Garland has been a terrific net front guy. He's doing some little things. Yeah. But offensively, in terms of actually threatening to put points on the board, I, yeah. I don't know there's been much from any of them, but I'll go with Garland. I voted Beauvillier, and I voted Beauvillier because he has been a streaky guy in the past. We saw that last year yeah. with yeah. the Canucks. He finally opened his account with an assist on Saturday. I thought he was better Saturday than he had been. And he got the uh, promotion here to the third line alongside Suter and Garland. So I voted Beauvillier. Although you could probably argue that Pius Suter is most due of these four. I mean, there's some offensive pedigree there, and we just haven't seen any of it in his eight games as a Vancouver Canucks. So, yeah, uh, we'll see if any of them are able to be that guy against the Nashville Predators tonight at Rogers Arena as the Vancouver Canucks go for points in a fifth consecutive game. And, of course, we're one bad official's call, Miss tripping call away from perhaps going for a fifth straight win. And some are quibbling with the word slump. No, you get oh, plumber is quibbling. We'll let plumber quibble. You get two points in eight games. You like you're like Andy's saying, "Come on, Connor Garland's got a goal." Well, he scored the first game of the season. He's got oh, two points on. in in 
eight games. You put two points in eight games on him at any point in his career, that'd be a slump. Hawk had said it a few nights ago after a game. You know, yeah, they're doing little things, and that's great, but at some point there has to be a bottom line. Yeah. So Garland hasn't scored, or sorry, Joshua hasn't scored since the opener. Suter hasn't scored at all. Bovillier's got one point. So, yeah, absolutely need more bottom line from the bottom six. Now, are you talk had said yesterday he likes how Beauvillier, Garland, and Suter are going. He said it's only a matter of time before they break loose, which is part and parcel why we're asking this poll question. We did wonder how much run this line would get just because it's an awfully small forward trio. Does size matter for you with this line and on a third line in the NHL? Not on the third line, no. I mean, it depends how you employ that line. Like, it's not a matchup line. It's not going to be a heavy minutes line. Like, even if they were super skilled, like pick your three favorite diminutive forwards in the NHL, you, you have that as your top line, they'd be dangerous. I mean, you'd have an immense amount of success if they were skilled players on certain nights. But come playoff time, you know, when it gets, when the whistles go away and such, you know, that would be a very risky way to roll. But as a, as a club in the bag, it's like saying, do you like your nine iron? Well, I don't use my nine iron a ton, but I like it when I need it. And, you know, it's just a club in the bag if you use it that way. You're not leaning on this line. Um, so I think they can use it, yeah. I've seen your approach game. You should use 9-iron more often. I don't know what that means. I don't know if you're applauding me, if you're criticizing me. My wedges aren't terrible. They're not mm-hmm. the worst part of my game. Dakota Joshua, who does look like he's going to play tonight. Uh, Stanika did the extra work. Talk it sort of notice to him for a second time this season. Yesterday, when he had him alternating with Stanik on the fourth line. So, so you're going back to training camp and the C group incident? Is that what you're talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah. Yep. 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 So it it's a demotion down the lineup, although it looks like he's going to maintain. And let's hear from the head coach on his assessment right now of Dakota Joshua. Well, it's, it's no different than earlier in the season. You know, he's got to get going a little bit. I just uh, there's certain parts of the game I do like, um, and he's just got to get going. You know, the, uh, uh, he knows it. You know, I just didn't. You know, I just a couple of things I don't like what he's doing right now, and he's got to drive the force. He knows it. Um, he even said, "I'm not happy with my game too," but that doesn't mean he's on a lineup. I haven't made any decision. It's just that I wanted to go with. Uh, I wanted to put Bo up there with Gars. I think those guys are going pretty good. Uh, it'll matter time before they break loose. Maybe. He's hopeful anyway. Um, I mean, eventually you break out of these slumps. Eventually you just do. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's the catalyst? Is it changing Is it changing line mates? Yeah. Is, it, is it something different? Uh, Ilya Mikheyev is another player who is under the microscope because he's coming off his first back-to-back since the reconstructive knee surgery. As Tockett said last week, going into the St. Louis and Rangers games, he was going to have to manage the minutes a little bit of Ilya Mikheyev. And that is part and parcel why Elias Pedersen played a career high 27 minutes on Saturday against the New York Rangers. Now, it, it was a overtime game, but... That's still, and it was significantly more, actually, than his previous career high. 
Mikheyev played 15 minutes against the Rangers. He played 13.45 against St. Louis. That's sort of in line with his previous two games, which of course were his first two games of the year after missing the start of the season. Played 15 minutes and four seconds, 13 minutes and three seconds. So it's actually been a fair bit of symmetry there. You plan for 13 and change, then 15 and change, then 13 and change, 15 and change. But Tockett did allow that at some point McCaff needs to play more and he needs to be he needs to start using him on the penalty kill. Take a listen. I, I was just concerned about minutes um, and um, I thought he was a little bit tired. You know, he played back to back. Um, so, but I got to get him definitely. You know, when I'm playing Petey and Millsy that much in that game, um, I think Mick can really help us out, take some of those minutes down, um, even the other guys. So, um, especially if we have a lot of power plays, uh, it's important that I get those other guys in the penalty kill. Um, but yeah, he's a he's a guy that pedicled last year um, at the beginning of the year, and uh, we got to start to get him in the rotation for sure. What yep. do you make of that? Well, I, I think we're starting to see him spread his wings and fly a little bit. So, um, I, th- I think you, you give him a game of regular rotation, see mm-hmm. how he responds to it. Spread his wings and fly. I'd call him a snowbird, but he's Russian, so he's a MIG. Ah, you're going plane brands aviation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you're, see, you're the one who introduced. The, <laughs> I was talking actual bird. Um, yeah, so you, you know, give him two minutes on the PK if, if that time is there, if the game presents that, and see, well, see and how he feels. Especially since, you know, I know Takata said he's he's like the PK somewhat, and I know there have been five-on-three goals against, but, I mean, it's still below league average. Yeah. I mean, it's still an area that requires improvement. Here's one of the things, and we've talked a little bit this week, and I suspect we'll talk a little bit more here so long as the Canucks show as well as they're showing these days, about the talkit effect and the credit that he gets for 5-2-1. and one. And we'll see where they go from here. As we know, he has come in and talked about structure and standards and effort and all those buzzwords. Watching video is a part of every coach's program now. And sometimes it can be the bane of the player's existence. Other times it could be a useful teaching tool. Tockett was saying yesterday that it's gotten to the point with this group where he's even got guys coming in requesting video sessions. Take a listen. When you call a guy to your office or, hey, you guys, they're not shaking their head. They want it. And actually there's some guys that knock on your door, hey, I want to see video with you. So when you get that, it really helps you as a coach when you get that kind of uh, buy buy in. Oh, no doubt. And you know, Nils Hoaglander talking about how the Sedin twins have been helpful for him as he continues his development as a prospect and player in the National Hockey League. And uh, tomorrow we'll talk more about video with Frank Corrado, who is becoming a video into coach, a video yeah. maestro himself. Yeah, exactly there on social media. Last night on J on SC, he was opining about how Quinn Hughes is in the Norris conversation. Oh, oh, looks yes. very good. Frank trying to uh, pander. No, I don't think it's pandering. No, it's no. not. We're kidding. It's well deserved. No, no I, frankly, I think uh, I think we're in his kitchen now. I think he understands 
Quinn Hughes needs more love, more shine, and I think he is going to be one of the apostles back east that brings that to his media cohorts. The funny thing and is, hockey is fans. Quinn Hughes feels like he's off to a slower start offensively because he is um, merely a point per game. Uh, but there's been some really rousing starts to the defenseman scoring race this year. Mm-hmm. But he's still he's three points off of Adam Fox. Like it's a, if he has a big week, he's he's back at the top of the league. So his concentration on defensive proficiency and, and responsibilities hasn't really hurt Quinn Hughes's offensive production. He's still a point per game right now. Mm-hmm. I um. I suspect that Quinn Hughes is going to be right there at the end of the day amongst the defense scoring leaders. And as I've said several times on the show this year, I don't think the defense scoring lead is going to be anywhere close to where it was last year. No, with Eric not Carlson, the lead. Because basically Carlson was allowed to. But there might be way more guys pushing 80. Oh, I, I, I think it's going to be a bigger collection. Because last year, almost at this time, Eric Carlson was free and gone. Of every other defenseman in the league. And underrated here, Philip Roenick's got seven points in eight games, and Hughes mm-hmm. and Roenick are 1-2 and plus-minus this year. Mm-hmm. Pretty incredible. There is news out of Calgary, where the Flames are off to the awful start. As everybody knows, they uh, lost the Heritage Classic to their rival Edmonton Oilers in a battle of two teams that have grossly underachieved thus far. Calgary 2-6-1 and one for five points in nine hockey games, minus 15 yeah. in goal differential. They've lost five in a row. Actually, didn't have that bad a start to the season, but they've lost five in a row. And they got Dallas up next, who's a pretty good team. Is there, Eric, a, way, is there a way for the Canucks to take advantage of this? Well, Eric Francis reporting that... The Flames have paused any kind of extension activity with some of their unrestricted free agents. And this is quite a saga, because as you may remember, they had a dreadful year last year. The players openly hated Daryl Sutter. Daryl Sutter gets fired. There's still talk that damage done, some of these guys may not even want to re-sign with the Flames or are going to inform the club that they want out and find us a new home or that they're in their final season in Calgary. And then they go ahead and they re-sign Michael Backlund and they name him captain. And they got a nice guy, new head coach, Ryan Huska, on the bench. And so you start to think, okay, well, maybe the atmosphere there in Calgary has improved enough that players are going to want to stay there. Well, if they're pausing negotiations with their UFEs to be, that's Chris Tanev, that's Elias Lindholm, that's Noah Hannafin, mm-hmm. maybe even Nikita Zadorov, although apparently he's a cult hero now there for saying the team was playing like shit and apologizing to the fans. And this is coupled with Rick Dollywall reporting that the Canucks management want to reward their group, get them some reinforcements. I'll give you credit, Blake. I think it was a week, couple weeks ago where you said, okay, with a strong start now, you watch. Will the Canucks start peddling future draft picks to try and get that defenseman in? Is there any opportunity here to get another, and I'll use the term somewhat hesitantly, but foundational piece 
into the line. I'm not just tinker on the edges, which has mostly been what Alvin and Rutherford have done, but another, if not Philip Ronick level player, a Carson Soucy level or an Ian Cole level player. Now, and t- is this where Chris Tanev comes home? If Calgary is moving on, or at least could be seduced into making a trade for one of the guys who is UFA and is supposed to be a big part of what they hope is a playoff club. Depends on on their appetite. Like, would they be open to trading a guy like Mackenzie Weger, whom they just? I mean, he's got no trade. I, I but he, I mean, is he is he grown sour on the experience already? For the other guys that are trade up all eight team no trade for Noah Hannafin left shot. Chris Tanevis, a 10-team no-trade list as a right-shot guy. Um, I don't think they're trading Rasmus Anderson because of his age. I'm guessing they no, probably no, want to hold think, on to him. I would think that Anderson and Weger are going to be there. Now, Weger's 29. Not you a spring get chicken. get a haul for him to right-shot, mobile. Uh, Rasmus Ooh. Anderson Whoa, is 27. Hold on. He, you can get a haul for him. He's, he's, he's signed through 2030-31. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit scary so, for some people. No, Someone, he's scary. That, nah, but he's a pretty good player. No, I, I he's think a very be, good player. But I think there'd be a team out there that might oh, be. Wow, willing. I wouldn't be shocked. But great, you're paying him to like 36, 37 for a man. thirty point defenseman. Caps going up. Mm-hmm. He's one of the best rush defenders in the NHL. There'll okay. be a team out there that. Might oh, I don't dispute. He's a very he's a good player who provides a whole lot of utility right now, and particularly he can play both sides. He can play the rights left or right side. But I just, in this environment right now, there's so many teams capped out, they can't even call up a player, Yeah, let alone add a six and a quarter. So th- that would have to be a creative trade, as they say. I There's no obvious, and of course the Flames need to appear to win a trade with the Canucks, right? I mean, the, the, you're not going to get a... You're not going to get bargain basement prices from the Flames. I would think so, especially with a relatively new general manager there. Yeah. Like Big Swing Brad, I don't think he cared. No. For a living. But Conroy is still proving himself, to be sure. And mm. if you're making one of these moves, you damn sure better win it in yeah. the eyes of your fans. Because otherwise, your honeymoon is over. I, I, I don't. are even more susceptible to the plight of the club. They even are not, if it's not your fault. They are not really able to... Turn the page. They've got a bunch of UFAs picking on defense, but you know they're not the big money guys. You know, there's there's one in Hannafin. Hannafin at four and a half. It's not even considered a big money deal, is it? And Hannafin's only four nine five. I mean, they they're not getting enough relief next year to fully make themselves retoolable. Even mm-hmm. moving on to the BC Lions, where we've got we got two pairs of tickets. Huh, Grady? Yep. Awesome. For Saturday's West Division semifinal, 3.30 p.m., B.C. place against the Calgary Stampeders. How do you get in? Text hashtag Lions to 778-402-9680. That's hashtag Lions, 778-402-9680. We had Rick Campbell on the show yesterday. We'll have another Lions guest later this week. And... 12-6 12-6 and 6 BC versus 6-12 and 12 Calgary, a rematch of last year's West Semi. And if you want to look, and that's a huge disparity between teams, between their records, right? Like six wins separated these two. And frankly, it could have been more had Calgary not won that game, the season's penultimate week against BC. 
uh, to get themselves into the playoffs. They were in a battle with Saskatchewan there. There's an awful lot of context around that. Like, And, and I know you did that, that last Stan Peters game on the sidelines, Blake, but I was talking to uh, Danny Austin, the fine uh, newspaper reporter in Calgary who covers the Stan Peters, and he was saying it was like a year that really defied belief when it came to injuries for the Stampeders. They lost their top two Canadian receivers, including Jalen Philpott, Delta's Jalen Philpott, Corey's son, their number one American receiver, four starting DBs, a starting defensive end, and the starting right tackle. And they were all long-term injuries. Mm -hmm. Then there's a bunch of guys on the one-game list, and, and don't pay too, too much attention to Calgary's injury list in the final week, last week, because they rested some guys. There was nothing to play for. We know the fine receiver, Reggie Bagleton, has come back. Cameron Judge, the fine Canadian linebacker, are expected to play. But it just puts pressure on your personnel department. And I can't say that I've seen many teams in the CFL lose four starting defensive backs to long-term injury. No, and they're playing with a with a you don't know us sort of chip on their shoulder. That and um, right, yeah, rightfully so. I mean, we don't. You've had to patch the dam so many times. And it's sort of house money at this point, and they've got a little momentum now. Yep, um, it's a dangerous game for the for the it, Lions. It is certainly a dangerous game. Uh, in fact, in some cases, you have some guys on the field that maybe you don't know a whole lot about from the other side. That just simply because they haven't played a lot of games, they've been called upon. But it's funny. And sometimes they're, those are fresher players. I talked to some people going into that that last game for the Lions against the Stamps hmm. who wondered if the Stamps really wanted it enough. Like if they if they really if they were going to manufacture the desire and desperation to win that game. Like I, I, it was a couple people. In fact, that I talked to they were like, I I don't know if they care right now. Well, they well, certainly I, seem to I, care now. I, I can understand why a franchise that had been in the playoffs 17 straight years, and now it's 18, and of course is accustomed to competing for a Grey Cup. Yeah. Like, I mean, this was the model franchise for the better part. I yeah. mean, we're 23 years into the century. If you ask me who's the model franchise in the CFL over that period, I'd probably say Calgary. Are they the Dallas Cowboys of the CFL? I, I Honestly, I think they are. It used to be Montreal way back when. Well, the Calvillo era in Montreal. Yeah. Uh, so Montreal and Calgary. I mean, BC was great for a long time, too. Just probably did not wind up winning as many great cups as Lions fans had hoped. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's a new lease on life here. And all the more reason, and this has been the Lions formula, get up on them early. For Let sure. all the doubts creep back into the Stampeders' heads from 6 and 12. And get them away from a run game. The minute right. you're down by 10 to 14, you're not running the ball. Exactly. Exactly. So looking forward to Saturday at BC Place, and I anticipate they'll get a good crowd out there as well. Also looking forward to Sunday at BC Place. And a quick turnaround for the conversion team there. they got to get that one ready for 430, where Vancouver Whitecaps FC hosts LAFC in an elimination game. Vancouver needs to win to stay alive in the best of three MLS opening round. We've got Vanny Sartini on the show a little later. Can tell you from training today where hard journalists report Sam Atacube is having a maintenance day. Like your thoughts on that. 
Russell Tybert is back training. Poor Rusty was hurt and unable to appear in the final games. A few weeks. Yeah. yeah. Final few games for the Whitecaps because of injury. I know everybody was wondering whether Rusty would get a, a little bit of a send-off here as a career MLS cap and captain. They had the ceremony to end the regular season for him, whether or not they find a spot to put him into a, a big game like this, especially coming off of an injury. I, I would think the only way he finds his way under the pitch is, well, first of all, A, he's got to be healthy, but secondly, if the game's out of hand in any direction, then um, then I think you see a, a wave maybe, but you have to have the substitution left too. So um, we'll see if, if that ends up happening. And we got two four-packs of tickets to give away to the Whitecaps. You can text hashtag Whitecaps to 778-402-9680 for your chance to win. We'll announce the winners of the Lions tickets on Thursday, the winners of the Whitecaps tickets on Friday. Have a fantastic time down at BC Place this weekend. weekend. There's so much going on. Big crowds. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you got big, big fun atmospheres at both. So, mm -hmm. like, go take part. We're a big event town. There's events happening. Go see them. I I was at the Vancouver Canadians World Series event last night at Nat Bailey Stadium, talking to a lot of people, including our friend Billy McLagan of Blake's Law Firm. And Billy's a huge sports fan, uh, sat on the uh, BC Sports Hall of Fame committee. We were discussing that. And uh, I looked at him. I said, Bill. We got consecutive playoff games at BC Place on the weekend. Like, when is the last time? He's like, I know. Do you remember a few years ago how barren it was? You know, season's over with, like, these strings to play out. And, boy, when you're playing out the string in football in a limited season like oh, that, oh, it's... It's a long game to be well, have no stakes. Especially, yeah. Especially because you're putting your physical well-being on yeah, the That, line, too. Right? You're right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and let's face it. When you're playing out the string in soccer and you can't score goals, that's not exactly an aesthetically no. pleasing product. We've seen that in hockey as well with the Canucks. So things are turning for the market. It's fantastic. Very much looking forward to the weekend. Thank you, incidentally, to Alan Bailey, Walter Cosman, Tyler Zickel, and everyone over at the Vancouver Canadians for having us out yesterday. A fantastic evening. Uh, with the World Series game on, and I have high hopes for the World Series here now as well. I'm hoping for a long series, and everybody was talking about Guriel and Marino and Seawall, the three Arizona Diamondbacks, gifted to the, uh, I shouldn't say gifted, but Seawald maybe, but uh, the two Blue Jays, ex-Blue Jays, and the effect they've had on that Diamondbacks team. Kevlar neck guards, Blake. Yeah. I see that Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly has told NHL Network that Bettman has been in contact with Marty Walsh, the PA. They want to get the neck guard issue, quote, on the radar. It could be a liability liability problem here too, right? NHL strongly recommending the use of neck guards. Uh, I also see that, and of course they have a commercial interest, but I think it's also good counsel. That Bauer hockey calling on, calling for a mandate for cut-resistant neck guards. TJ Oshie, veteran forward, saying that his equipment company is now sold out of its inventory and that more and more players are looking to protect themselves in the wake of the death of Adam Johnson. It's it's hard to argue against. The only thing is that it's a little bit hot. like. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the only. But complaint. it doesn't even affect performance to the degree that a visor would. The or, visor yeah, we used to no. hear about the visor and how it fogs see. up. I can't see and yeah. all that. No, and you got no, none but, of that. 
that was a challenge yeah. to the commercial entities in the sport, make a better product, better yeah. mousetrap. And they did. Yeah. When I played, I almost felt like anxious having something tight around my neck, so I'd always wear it very loosely. And as the game went on, it would get super wet and just that wet feeling. But it's a minor inconvenience that people will have to just get used to. Now my to, kids, right? if you don't wear it, they feel naked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like so, once you get used to it, and that's the good news is that you know younger players now it's just been nor it's just been normal in minor hockey. So um, hopefully, it gets to that point where you just it feels weird for you to have the breeze on your neck almost. So mm-hmm. Mike Sullivan of the Penguins announced today that neck protection is uh, being mandated for their AHL and ECHL. Teams. Oh, really? Yeah, they can't uh, do the I'm hard. Surprised. Hey, insurance is a big part of uh, PA negotiations and 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 just for the PA itself. You might find insurance companies going unless you wear that, we're not going to cover you for X, Y, and Z, right? So it might just be forced upon them here and. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's amazing because again, it's such uh, a rarity. But when the rarity is so deadly, um, and even talk to people that have survived it, like Zednik and, and Malarchuk, um Well, Malarchuk's saying all the PTSD came back, and right. I'm not surprised. Right. So, do you want to set yourself up for that, even if you survive? NFL trade deadline day, and Blake, it's really the length of our show, and we're coming on twelve years here in a few weeks has kind of mirrored the uptick in trade activity in the National Football League. And I do wonder whether you're going to see the league further push trade deadline back. Because look at the sorts of names that are moving now. Yeah. And this is not even at the midway point. It's too early. Of the NFL season. After completion of games this coming week, we'll have hit the midway point. But the big one yesterday with the Seahawks, forever aggressive, going out and getting New York Giants defensive lineman Leonard Williams. They give up a second and a fifth, but it comes to light that the Giants are going to be paying $9 million of his salary. So Big win there. The Seahawks are not picking up a lot of the cap cost on Williams. He's a UFA to B, but they still to get a third round compensatory pick if he signs elsewhere. So really it's kind of like a a pick swap with the Giants. Not much if of a you risk. lose them. No. You move back around, it costs you an extra fifth. They have an additional third next year anyways. And you gotta love that they're going out and addressing a position where they clearly had some need. A run-stuffing defensive tackle. And then you have to believe that that trade probably, I mean, maybe the 49ers make this trade anyway, but you, then now they have to know there's an arms race here in the NFC Took West. Took the words right out of my mouth, Blake. And, and that, you have to think, encourages the 49ers. So, yeah. wow, we better do something because we're in a dogfight with the Seahawks atop the NFC West. In fact, Seattle's uh, ahead right now. So they go out and make a trade for former number 2 overall pick, Chase Young who, when he's on, one of the dominant defensive players in the league. And how about Chase Young and Bosa on the edges now for San Francisco? Yeah, wow. And GM John Lynch and head coach Kyle Shanahan have proven aggressive for a second straight year here, Blake. Remember last year they made trade all those picks for Christian McCaffrey? They just got two of the best players in the last how many months for yeah. peanuts? I mean, I think... He, well, when like I you think said, you're overstating Young a little bit, yeah, just because he's not all. healthy very yeah. often. But Talented. when he is healthy, oh my God, the talent is through the roof. 
a little bit strange the Vikings trade for a quarterback well, in the wake of the Cousins thing and then trade guard Ezra Cleveland to the Jags. Mm. Like, it, are they are they thinking they're good enough? Are you or? in or are you out? Yeah, Minnesota? exactly. We're, it's unclear. Well, just try not to be embarrassing the rest of the way. They yeah. get Josh Dobbs from Arizona, who was benched this week. Cardinals are moving on at quarterback. And, of course, Arizona in deep rebuild, the worst team in the league. And then the second straight year, my Bears go out and peel a second-round pick for a player that, needless to say, is not being acquired for this year, Montez Sweat, but for what he can do in future years. Let's hope he works out better than Chase Claypool. Uh, anyways, Washington trades their two starting defensive ends, though. And, look, I get it. Your team's not where you want to be. You've paid your interior defensive tackles, Jonathan Allen and, and Deron Payne, and they're both fine players. But, I mean, if you're Washington, you could spend the next decade or so trying to find two better bookends than what you had and you know, replacing those guys in Young and Sweat. That was the one reason I was kind of bullish on Washington a couple of years ago. I'm like, when you can affect the game with a defensive line like that, it makes your offense better. It makes your corners better. Anyways, they've given up on that. And Sweat's a uh, free agent to be, so the Bears will have to resign him. And But a, another year where NFL trade deadline is fun. Which is crazy after eight you wait, games. Like, how far are we away from NFL trade deadline? Frenzy. Yeah. Yes. And, and the big show that really every other league is able to put out, put out and like, put on. There's a bunch of teams that still, including the Seahawks, who've played seven games. No, They've got I know. ten games left. But Push it thing, back a little, NFL, and then just open the floodgates. Even more teams are in because they'll fully Absolutely. know that they're out of it. Let's have great fun. Right now, you're sort of asking certain GMs to have like, make the really Minnesota tough, example. Making well. really tough decisions. Mm-hmm. Minnesota's 4-4. Four and four. They don't yeah, know what exactly. they are. They've, well, lost a, they've lost a quarterback, but you never know. Look at Zach. You know what uh, the Jets are doing here with, uh, with Wilson. With Zach I mean, Wilson. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you can find a way no, to the playoffs still. If it was later and you had, you know, clear in it and clear out of it teams, this thing could be awesome. Yeah. Let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by Greta Bar. Greta, great spot to catch the game throughout the season, playoffs, a place to chill in the offseason. John Shannon will stop by. Wow. Plenty to talk about with John. The Rick Tockett effect. Ilya McCaff is penalty killer. Heritage Classic Stadium Series games in Canada and in remote locations. Penalty shots, officiating, and coaches behaving badly. Coach got ejected last night in the NHL. We go over everything in the NHL with Joe Yeah, no, it's fun. He's a great conversation because he knows everything in the NHL. He pays attention. Very broadly, uh, great broad knowledge on John across the league. Vanny Sartini stops on by. We talk about his extension. We talk about his T-shirts. And he's got a beauty today. We talk tactics. We talk about the aggressiveness they showed on Saturday and what's going to have to happen on Sunday. We ask him, are you underdogs? And uh, he also throws shade at Justin Bieber. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca.
Time now for The Price is Right. And I was checking the leading scorers the other day, wondering where Elias Pedersen stood amidst the leaders. When I noticed his fellow countryman, Jesper Bratt, was snuggled up alongside him in the top 10 of NHL point getters. I thought, hmm, a couple suites together, interesting. I then noticed who else was around. Well, there's an American, or two, or three. A Czech, a German, a Russian. On and on it went. I had to scroll on the mouse, on the pad, to find a Canadian. No joke. Heck, there are three Germans in the top 23. As it stands in the moment I say this, there are no Canadians in the top 11 of NHL scorers. And there are just five in the top 20. And unless you're a fan of their particular teams, I bet you'd have a hard time naming any of them. Sam Reinhardt, Travis Konechny, Mason McTavish, John Tavares, okay, and Ryan Strom. All five are in a logjam at 11 points on the season, effectively tied in 12th place with you know goals being the tiebreakers. And yes, there are a few obvious names that aren't there. That probably will be soon. Sidney Crosby's at 10 points, 26 in the league. Connor McDavid at 9, sitting in 48th. There is no Royal Commission necessary. Not yet. But you do wonder if the rest of the world, and the USA in particular, are really catching up. Will the next best-on-best tournament be the toughest one ever for Canada to win? The NHL is eyeing a return to the Olympics and the World Cup, with the NHL's Bill Daly saying some sort of scaled-down something is being planned for 2025. Canada will have a matured Connor Bedard for that one, alongside McDavid. Will Sidney Crosby still be getting the call at that point? Will Macklin Celebrini be too good to deny? Whoever they choose, it appears they'll have targets on their backs. The world is off to a good start in 23-24. That's the price is right. Any feedback, send it to the Great Clips inbox, 778-402-9680. Great Clips is the official hair salon of the NHL. Greatclips.com to find the salon nearest you. Are you thinking Royal Commission? I No, I said no, no Royal Commission. Not necessary right now. But I think it's undeniable that mm-hmm. the depth... I mean, again, the Ger- Germany is the perfect example. Like Germany has got a handful of really good players now. Never was that true before. Like that's a new country on the block, if you will, mm-hmm. that has to be reckoned with. They've got players in every position now. So it's uh, – and then the Americans are a real force. I mean, I think it's taken longer than they anticipated for hockey to saturate in some of the uh, non-traditional states. And I won't say southern markets only, but, you know, because like Washington State, Oregon State are still – are still fertile ground for hockey to saturate. They, they haven't, haven't really gone there yet. But it's going to happen with the Kraken. Mm-hmm. Um, and the population base is just so big that they'll they'll eventually get better than this. I think they will, honestly. They've just got more people. Mm. Here's a interesting question. If a best-on-best best tournament was happening tomorrow, yeah, who's the Canadian goalie? There's another problem. Positional mm-hmm. strength. Carter Hart. 
Aiden Hill. And would it be Aiden Hill? I mean, oh. after his playoffs, he's five and zero oh this year with a nine twenty three save. I think he's owed, owed an invitation, but uh. well, yeah. I mean, the track record obviously isn't there, but it's a. Uh, I cannot remember the last time I surveyed Canadian goaltending across the league and went, yeah, I'm not sure who the star. I don't even know who the three goalies would be. Yeah. Um, I mean, who's the most, who's the best resume goalie right I mean, like right Kemper now. won a cup Kemper. two years ago, yeah, but Kemper, I right mean, they? that was for Colorado, right? Yeah. Marc-Andre Fleury would have to be no, in but the look, convo, but he's not the clear cut. Well, and of course, by the time the next international tournament rolls he's around, like gone. he's two probably not years. even playing. No, he's probably as retired. As of right now, mm-hmm. though. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, as of tomorrow, you're right. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury is... Get strong Gets consideration. Pretty thin, like Tristan Jari, who has okay, I'm not, gonna, had not a good start. been very good. I'm gonna blow your mind with the top save percentage guys amongst Canadians right now. No, I know. I'm looking at it. Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson. No, top is James Reimer of Detroit. Nine thirty nine save percentage. Hmm. Only played three games. Then it's Logan Thompson, Jake Allen, and mm-hmm. Jordan Binnington. I know, like. If Bennington can get himself together, I would suspect that he'll be on the team. But he's again, he's a an unusual personality. Do you know who is sixteenth in the league right now? Who is Canadian? Sixteenth in the league for save percentage. Do you know who is that? Matt Tompkins, Spencer Martin. Oh wow, Spencer Martin has four stars for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Spencer Martin, nine twenty two, a nine twenty two save percentage, sixth amongst Canadian goaltenders. Oh my. Carter Hart would be the guy going. I forward. would think Carter Hart. Yes, see, he's got, but you know, there's a ton of amateur pedigree there, Grady. But he hasn't exactly been the most successful NHL goalie. I know some of that has to do with the team he plays on, but yeah, but Team Canada history, World Juniors. Hey, the good news here: the next best on best isn't around the corner. We have some time to sort this file. Happy hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, neighborhood brewing, workshop spirits, and. Very excited to announce the release of Yellow Dog's very first mix pack, Box of Tricks. Choose between the classic Play Dead IPA, the award-winning Rough West Coast IPA, and two brand new beers, Growl Extra Pale Ale and Tug of War New Zealand IPA, hitting the shelves on Tuesday, November 7th. And at the end of a busy workday, treat yourself to a Yellow Dog neighborhood or workshop spirit. Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Kia in Surrey and the Langley has got fabulous deals for you. Check out the new EV Neros and EV6s, both in stock now. Join the electric revolution. It's all good at Applewood. Bodog poll question today Who is the first to break out of their slump? Anthony Beauvillier, Connor Garland, Dakota Joshua, Pew Suter. You can vote at Sikharison Price on Twitter. Vote on your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Vote on line of the day. I'm a Will Levis believer in Tennessee. I don't think Pittsburgh is particularly good to begin with, even if Pickett's going to play. Deontay Johnson, you see that? Sewering the officials saying they wanted Jacksonville to win. I'm going to go Titans. Plus 130 to win straight up on your Bodog line of the day.
Joined now by the co-host of the Bob McCallum podcast, the former executive producer, Hockey Night in Canada, Mr. John Shannon. How are you? I'm great, boys. Happy Halloween. And I got to tell you, those are great costumes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, we were quite festive we, here. We, Went as a podcaster uh, again. Uh, this I was going to say, uh, you know, a good old finning cat truck driver. So. <laughs> uh, we love it when you drop sponsors into the program. <laughs> very good. Uh, um. We wanted to ask you, uh, Rick Tockett is getting a lot of praise here in Vancouver for the Canucks 5-2-1 and one start going into this uh, game against Nashville tonight. How much credit do you think he deserves for this Canucks? Oh, I think he, for this good Canucks start. I think uh, I, I think he deserves a lot. And, and I can only think back to after the Philadelphia game, guys, when everybody was saying, holy smokes, Rick's gone off the deep end already trying to create accountability. Well, you know what? There is a time and place for it. And obviously, Rick Tockett knows when that time and place is because the team has really, well, they were playing well before, and then they had a, a bad night in Philly, and they've, they've played great since. And, you know, there there is something to be said for somebody of Tockett's ilk as a player, uh, and then with his experience uh, in Tampa and in Arizona and in, even as an assistant coach in Pittsburgh, about feel for his team and for the game and um it's it's really come back to roost i think and and the other thing to point out is uh, it i know it was hard when bruce got let go i know it was soap opera-ish when he got let go but this team now is paying dividends of allowing rick Tocca to coach the last what 25 games of the season because he knows this team and he was able to have a summer of thought process on what would make this team better. And then the additions that the team has made and allowed them to be much more defensively responsible. And dare I say uh, to the naysayers, uh, the Hronick trade looks pretty good now, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, the Hronick trade, not only, but uh, the Susie and Cole signings as well. I mean, like think of where this team would be without adding three NHL caliber defensemen between last deadline and now. So, um, Ilya Mikheyev, you'll have to remind us, John, from your years watching him there in Toronto, just because it has been so long since we have seen him as a primary penalty killer for the Vancouver Canucks, given the injury and given the fact that they're sort of weaning him back into the lineup here, taking it easy with him, particularly on that back-to-back on the weekend. Right. Remind us, what kind of penalty killer is Ilya Mikheyev? Well, he's committed. He, you know, he Remember, this is a guy that, you know, when he's at 100%, he's one of the fastest guys in the NHL and speed kills. Uh, and you know, if, if you can have that speed uh, while you're shorthanded, then there's something to be said for that. He's a smart player. You know, that, uh, you know, his, his hockey IQ really is at the top end guys. And I think that that's one of the reasons I, I know there were people inside the Maple Leaf organization that did not want to see him leave. They just couldn't afford to keep him. And when, you know, when the Canuck money started to roll in, it just, it made, it was difficult to let him go. He's a smart player. He understands the game. You know, the one aspect of it is, is that he has shown flashes of offensive skill, but not where I think a lot of people thought they would be. But at this point, I think that his contributions, while they're short, the Canucks are shorthanded, I, I think will get well noticed. I, I don't know if you've seen much of the Canucks this year, but uh, do you see Ilya Mikheyev's speed there Not yet? yet? Have no, you? I don't. Seen? Yeah, I, yeah. I don't, and that's what I'm saying. I, 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 you know, yeah. if if you talk to a Maple Leaf fan or someone within the organization, that's the first thing they would normally talk about with Mikheyev. 
And I suspect after all this time off that that's, you know, that's mm -hmm. between conditioning and actual muscle memory. I think that that's something that's going to take a while to come back. I think we underrate though, just how good a thinker he is though, because we, and we, we should really extend this back to last year before the surgery where he was hampered by the knee as well. He still finds a way to contribute. He still finds a way to be a part of the mix here, and he's not even at 100%. Yet. Yeah, and I think that, that, again, just hockey IQ is, I'm not going to say off the charts because that's not fair to anybody, but I do think that he should get credit for being a lot smarter on the ice, knowing parameters, which is one of the reasons I think that, you know, if this coaching staff thinks they can kill penalties, I mean, I think that's a, that's a really valid point because they can see what he can do in key situations, particularly on the defensive side of the puck. Well, uh, to John's point about his hockey IQ, I thought he was terrific in the half court, in a, especially in his first two games mm -hmm. back. Like, it looked like he had chemistry already with Kuzmenko and Pedersen. So, yeah, no, if you're telling me the best is yet to come with Ilya Mikheyev, I can believe that, and that would be a tremendous development for the Vancouver Canucks. And you'll have to mind my partner, John Shannon, I know you watch every Vancouver Canucks game. No, I, I, as I, he does stay up late. He is a late night. He is a late night owl. <laughs> he sits there. He watches the Pacific Coast game. He watched the Habs and Golden Knights last night. He watched Habs and Golden Knights last night. He's not your typical Eastern media guy it's who's true. not paying attention to the Canucks. I'm just a night hawk, boys. You know, so I would mm -hmm. tell you for the longest time, the best hockey starts at 10 o'clock Eastern time. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, and boy, watching that Vegas Montreal game Whoa. last night, you're not lying. Was that, that fun was or what? I mean, gosh. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan, you have to be really optimistic about what they have done there. They they still have some things to improve. But, the, mm -hmm. you know, when you think of the resurrection of Sean Monaghan, what he's doing, Nick Suzuki, who did not have a good year last year, he's played well. Cole Caulfield's the real deal. As, uh, as the guys of the broadcast last night were talking about, he might be the greatest three-on-three -three hockey player in the NHL right now, and he can still shoot the puck when he's five-on-five. Five. He's like the forward version of Quinn Hughes. You know, before we well, – or shall I get us derailed here for a second in mentioning this, look at how many um, anticipated average teams to downright bad teams that are doing well right now. Um the Anaheim Ducks, wow. the Montreal Canadiens, um, uh, the Winnipeg Jets. I don't think many people had high hopes for them at all. They're above 500 right now. Uh, the Preds are a, a 500 team. I don't know that you know they were being criticized a little bit going into this game. Like Detroit to a degree. Detroit to a degree. They were deemed to be, I think, an average team. They're six three and one. What is going on? Do you think here, John? Is this young players coming in and making a much bigger impact than they ever have before, or at least since the eighties, maybe being able to drop into a lineup and immediately make a team better? Well, I think there's two, there's there's two things to to talk about there. First of all, I'm going to use the same phrase that when teams are one, five and one, they use, and they say it's early. Okay. So, oh, so course, yeah. it's early when you're, but it's hard for a lot of, but you look at bad teams last year, John, it was hard for those bad teams to have any spell of yeah. time where they go six, three and one, much less to start. The but season. this also, this, this also speaks to, you know, I think Greg Cronin has done a really good job uh, in Anaheim. I think that the, you know, understanding what kind of players you have, by the way, Cronin is going to have a phone call today with the, with the, I suspect Colin Campbell to, uh, to talk about uh, his antics at the end of the second period last night. Um, rightly or wrongly, the, the league doesn't want coaches to be doing that type of thing. 
uh, and uh, he will get a, a, a very firm slap on the wrist uh, today by hockey operations. But I, I think that what you're seeing, though, is transformations of guys and, and the abilities. Like timing is everything. You know, Steve Eiserman's done an amazing job and been very patient, and so is the fan base there. All of a sudden, Dylan Larkin has somebody to pass the puck to and Alex Dabrinkit. Mo Sider on the blue line for Detroit. He's a stud. You know, the, Steve Eiserman's done a solid job there. Everything's progressing. Same thing in Ottawa. Even though there's lots of people that are ticked off that DJ's not doing what they want to do and they could be better. But there's a, you, on the other side, you look at what Seattle's done so far this year. And other than mm-hmm. last night with their success in, in Tampa, they haven't been the team that we saw play last season. So I, I think as many teams that are being successful early on in the season, there's another group of teams on the ledger like Edmonton, like Calgary, like Seattle, all of the Pacific Division, by the way, For sure. that can um, that are are probably doing a lot of internal thinking of what they need to do better in order to get back on track. Pittsburgh three and six. Oh, oh no, wow. no, that, no, there's another that, story. That is another story for another day. Is it? Can we make? Do you think Mike Sullivan is the coach there next week when we talk? Uh, I do, um, but I I would think that uh, over the next couple of days, I suspect that there will be some very very difficult discussions between Kyle Dubas and Mike Sullivan of what's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, I actually had it suggested to me last night by somebody in and around the Penguins that somebody might have to pay the price. I'm not sure who it well, is. That's, I, I read. I'm not sure who it is, but somebody might have to pay the price. Right. You know that power. The the power, they had two five on threes. Now one was successful, and that's the Cronin issue. They had a five on three for almost two minutes at the end of the mm-hmm. third period last night. Um, and Sidney Crosby touched the puck once. Sidney Crosby touched the puck once. Now I don't know about you guys. And I've never coached in the National Hockey League. But if I'm running a power play, I want Sidney Crosby to be a little more involved in the power play than most people. Well, I saw Rob Rossi's tweet last night who basically laid it out. And, you know, they, they made all these changes. They've decided to give Crosby and Malkin a, you know, a last gasp here to see if they can get back at her, even though they've lost all these first rounds in a, lo- in a row. New GM. You just don't have a lot of levers available to you right now other than a coaching change, and that's not to say Mike Sullivan is a poor coach. Anything but. I mean, a two-time Stanley Cup winner. He's been fantastic there. Mike Sullivan would be Um, out of work for about seven minutes. No, exactly, and he is that guy. You know, he is that guy that you wonder whether other teams would move on their guy to hire him. But staying on coaches here, because I do want to get to this. You mentioned Greg Cronin in Anaheim. Uh you know, Rick Tockett in the early going here, John, saw opponents get the preponderance of power plays. He bit his tongue. He bites his tongue on Saturday night when Elias Patterson gets clearly tripped in the overtime by Chris Kreider, who winds up setting up the game winner going the other way. I, I do wonder whether Tockett is picking his spot here vis-a-vis the edict they were given from Commissioner Bettman about the behavior of coaches, yelling, screaming, veins popping, all those things earlier in the season and then Cronin last night you don't see this a lot in the NHL like you see it in baseball coaches getting ejected but you don't see coaches in the NHL get ejected let alone get the extra two minutes on top of the delay of game two minutes for the unsuccessful coaches challenge so they threw the book at Cronin last night and I do wonder you know whether or not we're uh, 
we're in the midst of a war here between the league office and the coaches in terms of deportment. Well, I, I, I don't know about that. By the way, last year, because I actually I was shocked to see a coach get a game misconduct. I, I, you know, there are lots of things that that I, I think I know a lot about, and I, I don't see that very often. I can tell you last year of 1,341 games or whatever it is, there were three game misconducts given to coaches last year, last season. So, Cron- but it, it's still surprising me. That still seems high. I know. I, and I was shocked. Yeah. So, the, the, yeah. the other thing about this is that Cronin's a rookie head coach. I suspect that they're trying to put him in his place. Like, you know, if, if, if this was uh, Peter Laviolette uh, or Todd McClellan, I, I, I suspect that it prob- they probably would have been given a little more leeway than a, a guy who's coaching his ninth game in the National Hockey League. Um, so from, from that perspective, I think that's part of it. Um, but this is one of those things where I, 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 this has been a message. I think that the league has been trying to push on the clubs to stop, you know, talking about the brand of hockey. Stop, you know, you, 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 if you're the chef at McDonald's, you don't tell them that the, the meat's not good. You know, you, you, you have to support the system at some point. Whether you agree with that or not, but that's exactly what I think the NHL is trying to tell people in in this scenario is that don't bash the product that much. It doesn't help us try to sell the game. If McDonald's would like to advertise on Secure Some Price, the meat is just fine, by the way. Uh, uh, let me ask, though, officiating, um, uh, what have you made of it in the early going here? Do these coaches have a, do they have a right? Do they have a beef? Well, that's good. Do they have a beef? I like that. With oh, yes. McDonald's, that's good. I, like that. yeah. um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think that there, when you get a, an end of a road trip, like Anaheim was on the end of a road trip, people are tired. You know, I, I, officiating hasn't changed over the years. I mean, officiating is officiating. They do their best. They try hard. They miss plays once in a while. You know, the one thing I would say Except- is they, they just miss plays. They do it. And um, it, it's, you know... <laughs> It, it, it is what it is, guys. Um, there is no, there is no uh, controversy. There is no, uh, uh, you know, uh, glut of bad officiating. It is just, it's at the same level all the time, and you have to learn to live with it. They do get edicts, though. Oh, sure. They, and... get, they get memos every day. They get, you know, there, there, there will be a discussion with, the, with the, the group of guys that officiated Saturday night. Hey, you missed this call, or you missed that call, or... You know, I, I talked to some people within the league office that said, you know, we, you know, sometimes our, our young guys interpret the rules a little too tightly. Um, mm-hmm. So they, they constantly interact, constantly interact with the guys. What we don't do, unlike a player who gets suspended, unlike a coach who gets fined, we don't hear about those things when it comes to officials. We don't. And that's the NHL not airing its laundry publicly. And that's just... We're going to have to deal with that. We don't like it. We want we want the, the officials to be above reproach too, but that's just a fact of what's gone on in the league. This is not a complaint, but they are calling penalty shots. Oh, I love it, don't um, you? Which, we, I mean, the penalty shot went away during my late youth and early adulthood. Like it just it, they weren't there at all. Like we, we it was all well, the, it was water cooler talk. Like, did you see that there was a penalty shot? Now it's almost a nightly occurrence. Like in the dead puck era and the neutral zone trap, there, there were no, no breakouts. <laughs> yeah, no right. I guess. No, I, 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 I look back at how many penalty shots. I mean, I think we're into double digits already this season. 
so. of, yeah. of penalty shots. Last night in uh, in Vegas, Jack Eichel got a penalty shot in overtime. Who? When? When would we have ever thought that there'd be a, an overtime penalty shot? He didn't score, by the way. Uh, but that that to me tells me that they're trying to be a little more liberal in their interpretation of it when a guy goes one on one with the goalie and the defenders be either behind him. But I've seen a couple of penalty shots that I would have told you the defender was beside the shooter and they still got called for the penalty mm-hmm. shot. Yeah, uh, Sean Couturier got one versus the Canucks in Philly. That was um, oh, they, see, the yeah, referees very surprising. Just, just, the referees just hate the Canucks. We all know that, guys. They just no, them. no, it's not that. It's just that you know he was slashed, but maintained possession, got a great chance on goal, yeah. and still drew the penalty yeah. shot. No, I, 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 um, I think after there's effectively a completed break. I tell you what, so. I, I will make a promise. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find out before we talk next Tuesday uh, if there, in fact, has been a, uh, a liberalization of the penalty shot rule. Got you. Twelve penalty Excellent shots stuff. this year. Two guys have two. Oh my gosh! Andrew Kopp and David Pasternak have two each. <laughs> I think David Pasternak is crazy. Did you find that on NHL Edge? I know. Just, no, just I think David Pasternak. Regular. I think David Pasternak actually had back to back games, if memory serves me. Oh wow! No, maybe it was. I don't know. I can't remember. It could be. Could be. I don't yeah. know. Uh, answer me that. Answer me this, because um, we uh, looked on with uh, perhaps a tinge of jealousy, perhaps a tinge of oof. They look cold to the Battle of Alberta Heritage Classic Sunday from Edmonton and Commonwealth. Of course, um, we had our own dance with a stadium series game. I, I can't call it an outdoor game, John, because BC plays. Nope. Do you have the new was roof? Was closed for uh, did it have the new roof Canucks at that point? And Senators all those I don't think it did. All those years ago. Um are are they just wholly against any kind of cross-border stadium series game not involving the Leafs? Like could Canucks and Kraken one day beat a stadium series game either down in Seattle or up here or is that just not work for either side of the ledger? Broadcast wise. No, I I I think a Vancouver Seattle scenario once I mean, you tell me where the rivalry is. You tell me where the rivalry well, that's is. that's it. Like, some would say it needs some stoking, right. and maybe that's a great way to do yeah. it. Well, but or, or I think the league is probably going to say, well, if, if Seattle and Vancouver ever got a playoff series, then let's start talking about the, the, the future of, of things like that. Um, you know, it, it's going to be a very interesting test this year for the Winter Classic in Seattle. From a ratings perspective, what kind of numbers will a Vegas-Seattle hockey game draw in both countries um, on New Year's Day? Uh, it may it may not be the best number, and that may force us back into seeing those teams that we always see: Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Boston. You know, that's that's where the that's where the fact of 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 these things yeah. is is that you have to. Yeah, you have to have compelling, compelling days. T- Toronto, Detroit will always draw. You know that. Toronto, Detroit mm-hmm. is one of those cross-border things. And yes, I think that unfortunately for awareness, um, you know, the, the fact that Toronto's led by an American player, I think that that probably would help any interest in in a right. uh, in a, a cross-border outdoor game again. Help me out on this one because years and years ago, this guy over here, and I'll give him credit, fantastic take said at some point they have to take it out of the stadiums and bring it sort of into nature, like create the pond hockey yeah. field. Lake Louise. I know it was I know it wasn't the most successful at Lake Tahoe because of all the, you know, weather and climate issues that turned up there. 
do you think they could ever set up a stadium at Lake Louise or Whistler Village or Mystery Alaska or any of these places that would create a backdrop? Or is that just not going to happen after the Lake Tahoe experience? Well, um, two, two things. First of all, it'll never happen at a national park. It'll never happen in a national park um, just for environmental concerns. The other mm-hmm. thing is, is that it, you, you have to do the numbers and you're going to have to find a way to create a stadium and you probably need 40,000 seats. So is it cost efficient? Is it cost efficient to yeah. build a stadium for one or two games for a lovely view of, you know, the coast range or the Rocky mountains or somewhere else. And that's really the, right. that's the toughest thing to, to discern. My answer is in the end, not a chance just for that yeah. reason. Yeah. You know, the revenue is they go to the outdoor games. Yes. It's romantic. Yes. It's exciting, but it's a big check when you sell 55,000 seats. Hey, lastly here, um, are we going to see Kevlar neck guards as grandfathered in like uh, Shields were? Will that be the legacy of Adam Johnson? Well, uh, unfortunately, it has to be negotiated. Mm-hmm. It's not as if the commissioner or anybody can sit here and say, boys, you have to do it right now, and we're, there's no discussion. It's part of the CBA. I don't know if you remember, guys, Jay Feaster wanted – every one of the Calgary Flames to wear ankle guards after a couple of his defensemen broke ankles blocking shots. And so he went and bought them and threw them in the middle of the room in the dressing room in Calgary and said, put them on. And they said, we don't have to. And this is going to be, at this point, it's going to be personal preference for each individual player until uh, Marty Walsh and Gary Bettman come to an agreement. And Marty, in the end, is in a very difficult position because he doesn't make the decision for the players. The players tell Marty what the decision is. There's a lot of performance reasons for visors and guards to be annoying. Mm-hmm. I still would suggest it, obviously. There's not, there's not a lot of performance you know, reasons to not want to wear a collar. Um, I mean, mildly more hot, I suppose you could make the argument, but it's not going to make your wrist shot worse. It's not going to make your visibility with the puck worse. It's not going to make your skating worse. So, I, it, you know, I, to me, this is a lot easier negotiation than the other two. Agreed. Common sense on top of everything mm-hmm. you talked about, uh, uh, Blake. Um, but players are finicky when it comes to personal equipment. Oh, for sure. And I mean, yeah. you guys have been around rooms enough to know what, You've seen some of the stuff guys wear and that have been wearing for years, even though it's probably antiquated by now and it doesn't really protect very much. So this, as much as we want to say this is on the league, you know, and the league can push this mandate, this one's on the players. This one is squarely on the players to protect themselves and to protect their, their fellow players. There he is. He stays up late watching Canucks games, never misses one, and uh, he'll have penalty shot data for us going forward this season. The one and only John Shannon, everybody. Happy Halloween! Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Apple at Auto Group. Hashtag the best and worst of Twitter.com. Brought to you by Jason Hominick, Jason.Mortgage. If you have a great rate on your mortgage, still need equity out of your house, Jason has a solution. You keep your great rate, you access that equity without touching, 
your existing mortgage. If your mortgage is up in the next six months, now is the time to reach out. Find them at Jason.Mortgage. At ESPNFC, Cristiano Ronaldo liked and laughed in the comments on a video criticizing Messi's eighth Ballon d'Or. The journalist said that Messi scored six penalties in the World Cup and should have five Ballon d'Ors, arguing that he took one from Holland, Lewandowski, and Xavi slash Iniesta. Um, and when he says laugh, laughter emojis, four of them, in fact, Cristiano Ronaldo did. Mm-hmm. Um, and he liked the tweet as well. I mean, liking can sometimes be bookmarking. I'll, I'll, I'll yes. give him that. The four laughing emojis. It could be laughing that your criticism is laughable. It could be laughing along like, I agree, this is hysterical. He's got eight. Do you think Cristiano's catty with Messi? Mm. I mean, that's pretty outward because the, the emo- it's one thing to like. But again, the emojis, you're actually having to type that in. I would uh, never underestimate the ego no. of players at that level. No. Mm-hmm. They typically think. You know, they typically believe their press clippings. They typically create slights yeah. from whatever material presents itself. Uh, here's what I will say. I, I wish the two could engage in English so that we knew yes. more about them. Yeah. Like they're both on the press. I mean, they're both in the twilight of their career. And I've read plenty about them over the years, but I've never, you know, their voice has not necessarily been as... And not central that, to their stories, at least in our language, at least for us. And, and clearly, they do not need more money or fame. No. But every you, you talk to every super rich guy, they always love more, right? Both of them would have like 50% more income and oh, fame if they spoke English. Can you imagine mm-hmm. if they were comfortable in the because they'd be they'd be even more global so i mean north america as we're seeing with messi now is the final frontier for for Mm. football still um and messi's starting to mine it a little bit but my goodness Mm -hmm. he could mine it even more with uh with some more english interviews at derek underscore n underscore nhl derek newmeyer carcone lit up the ahl last year and is now getting his first full nhl season at the age of 27 Love the results so far. Good on the Coyotes for keeping him up with the big club and letting him settle in. Older, quote, rookies often savor it a little extra and battle a little harder. I'm not sure I can call him former Vancouver Canuck because he never played a game with the Canucks. But he wore the crest. But he wore the crest Mm -hmm. at prospects camps and development camps and things like that back in 2016 through 2019. When he was a member of the Utica Comets, I'll say this: when we watched him back then, we did what? Well, hey, that, that kid's actually got a lot of skill. Like well, we did note that. And I can remember when he was moved to the Leafs in the Josh Levo deal in 2018. So coming up five years on that, you know, certain people thought like, "Oh no, the Leafs are getting something yeah, here. Yeah, they're getting something. A, a guy who's got a shot. A bit of a project, but but right, guy that has a shot. Yeah. Patrick last night for the Arizona Coyotes." He's up to six points in seven games for the Coyotes. He's played NHL games the last couple of years for Arizona, 30 of them in total, nine points. I seem to remember he's got a little bit and of an edge to him, too. That AHL season that Newmeyer's talking about, how about 31 goals and 85 points in 65 games last year? Yeah, pretty good. At Tucson. That's a hell of a year. And for Arizona, you might as well give him a rep. All right. Nothing to lose. No.
Ah, good for Michael. At Terrier Hockey, after scoring three of his NCAA best eight goals as part of a five-point weekend against UMass, Macklin Celebrini, your Hockey East player of the week. He's the youngest player in college hockey, and he's destroying that loop. In the toughest conference mm-hmm. in college hockey, you could make the argument. I know he hasn't necessarily tracked as a Connor Bedard-level prospect yet. I wonder where the hype is going to be with him in June. I'm a little bit, um, I'm a little bit shocked that he hasn't been given the Connor Bedard treatment because I don't if, think he's quite as spectacular with his sort of hands and his ability to create shots and goals as Connor is. Few are. That's very true. But if he's ninety percent of Connor McDard, uh, Connor well, Bedard, why wouldn't you? The other thing is, is that hype him. You you talk to the. Um, you talk to people who knew both guys on the way up. Like Celebrini's always been a complete player. Like yeah. he plays the defensive side of the puck. He wants to be that two hundred foot centerman. He has gotten on teammates about defensive effort in his previous stops. So one year though makes a difference for a young player. Like the difference between a draft minus one and a draft plus one season, mm-hmm. it's huge, oh. huge. I mean, it's it's look at Lekaramaki, yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's five percent of your life just in twelve months, you know. Like that, lots happens for a young player. So for him to be doing this at this age, it is bonkers. At Mariner Muse, Paul Seawald on the Mariners offseason quote: "I had things to say before the season, and it turned out exactly how I thought it was going to." Yikes! Says this Mariners fan account. Um, Larry Stone, the Seattle journalist, went down to the. World Series and caught up with the former Mariner, who has, of course, been a huge reason why the Arizona Diamondbacks are in the World Series with his perfect record through three playoff series. Seawald said, I had some things to say before the season. Read that part. He goes, that's frustrating, but Jerry and those guys have their work cut out for them to try and figure out how to make the Mariners better. I felt like we could have gotten better than we did. I understand the moves they made. It's just they didn't work out. And it was frustrating. Of course, he's talking about the Colton Wong move and, you know, the Tiascar Hernandez move turned out okay. Maybe not exactly how they envisioned it. But with regards to the M's and spending, you know, are you going to get serious with your pocketbook when it comes to competing in the American League West, where you not only have the, well, still the reigning World Series champion, Houston Astros, for a few more nights, and of course, Texas may well follow up with them. You could have two, the last two World Series champions in your division, but at the very least, you're going to have the last two AL, uh, American League champions in your divisions. Huge offseason for DePoto and the Mariners. Have to get better. Final one for me, at Manuel Veth. <whistles> Useless fun fact of the day. New Ajax head coach John Vent Ship was born in Fort St. John, British Columbia. A tough northerner may be exactly what Ajax need in a pretty dire moment in the club's history. I bring it up because you're always looking for a, a Canadian connection Maybe for a European he would like head to coach. coach. The Canadian men's national well, team. Well, it's not going to happen this time around. Obviously, the time he's not right because he just took took this job. But Ajax yeah. isn't what they used to be, though. No, this is right? what Manuel's pointing out is they are in dire uh, condition right now. This guy's got mm-hmm. a long history of being at Ajax. He's twice been there as a, an assistant coach. Um, but a former Genoa player, um, and he's been around. Uh, I mean, he's he's coached in like Guadalajara, so he's he's come back to 
North America at, at points. He's been the coach of the Greek national team. Mm. They play with structure. So, I mean, it's, it's he's a guy to uh, to keep an eye on, maybe, because you might mm-hmm. be able to... He actually got raised... Like, he did spend some time here. He was raised in Powell River, so says his wiki uh, page, at least. So, he, he actually probably has memories of being a Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um it might might be a guy hey, to keep an eye on. If Don Carlo says no, that I'm all for there this. You there you chap. go. And lastly, for me at Three Down Nation, Saskatoon Hilltops West Shore Rebels advance to the CJFL's Canadian Bowl. This is a Canadian Junior Football Championship. Well done to the West Shore Rebels out on the island. They beat the Okanagan Sun in the semi. Of course, the Sun were the reigning champions. This is their first berth in the Canadian Bowl since 2016. They went 10 and 0 this year. They beat teams by an average of 50 points. And they're seeking their very first Canadian National Championship uh, game is November 11th. Remember, it's a 6 p.m. kickoff at Starlight. Best of luck to the Rebels. And that's hashtags for today. guest is the head coach of Vancouver Whitecaps FC and since last we talked to him Blake he gives a little clue he has been re-signed to stay as the head coach of Vancouver FC home is Vancouver right Vanny Sartini good to see you again yeah 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 home is Vancouver uh, uh, happy to have signed two, two more years but this next week also is very important. This week is very important. So let's say let's let's be happy Sunday night too. Mm-hmm. Just la- before we get into that, like uh, you and Barbara, you've fallen in love with the place. Like, is the was this a conscious decision you wanted to stay here as long as possible? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was of course one of the factor too. We talk about uh, like a couple months ago when uh, the White Cup started to okay approaching us and say yeah, there's the strong possibility that they were going to to make us an offer to stay and uh, so I talk we talk and uh, you know we, we love it here we like it here besides all the professional things that are going on to the uh, I would say right uh, right direction uh, I think it plays a big part the fact that we live in a fantastic city so that's that's beautiful uh this first round is a best of three series. We talked about it uh, a couple of weeks back. It changes things. Uh, game one is uh, it's a little bit of playing with house money. It's not an elimination game. You know you're playing another game past that. You know it's on their home turf. They're supposed to win. So the yeah. pressure is kind of off a little bit, but that changes now, doesn't it? Um, now you've got a hold serve, if you will, to borrow a tennis term. Uh, how does that change how you coach this one versus how you coached the last one? Yeah, it changes. It changes a little, to be honest. It changes in the way of the choice that I probably will do with the lineup. So last week, uh, we tried. I tried to went with the most offensive lineup possible. And even when uh, uh, they scored a three-two, for example, uh, I made changes that if it was like a, a single elimination game, or even more, if it was like an home and away thing, I wouldn't have done it. Like. Uh, mm, Taking off Andres Cubas, for example, to put uh, Junior Oilet to have an, a striker in pew, or a striker more instead of uh, instead of a defensive midfielder. So, uh, because we knew that uh, if they scored the fourth or the fifth goal, it didn't matter. So, he, what, what mattered was try to try to try to win the game. Uh, so this time it's going to be different in the sense that uh, uh, the big difference first that we are in Vancouver at least this time. I think it's a very it's a it's an enormous difference than 
than than being there. And also the fact that it's a do or die, it's a kind of a real playoff game. Uh, I think bring us in, uh, you know, in a mood that uh, staying in the game the most, uh, structure over aggressiveness. Last week was more aggressive as over structure. Uh, I think it's more important. I'm a little bit, um, uh, I don't want to say upset, but or disappointed. But yeah, I think because in the first half this aggressiveness over overstructured. Uh, uh, I think it paid off, and we could have been up in the score instead of being two-two. And uh, but then the second half, uh, we, we made a couple of mistakes that we have to be completely honest. The third and fourth goal are on us, are totally on us. And uh, and when you make mistakes, uh, you you pay in the playoff. That's the reason why I think going structure over aggressiveness here at BC Place is gonna. I think uh, help us not making these mistakes. You can say all the right things defending set pieces in training this week. Does it have time to sink in with the player? Like, can it actually affect the next match when you when you coach yeah. it all week? Yeah, we have five gate five days, and I'm telling you, we'll 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 focus one day, the day that is going to be the lowest one in uh, in uh, in uh, in load. We'll focus only on defensive set plays because, okay, we need to. Uh, so the defending set plays this season has been uh, kind of terrible for the first three games. Then they've been very good at the end. Our stats, if we if we remove the the, th- the first three games, our stats were actually very good in defending set plays, uh, and they went. To, uh, we arrived like more or less on average at the end because of the first three games. But last games was terrible too, so I think that uh, uh, in the playoff, uh, especially because it's a one-off game, uh, I think there's 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 room to do something special. And I don't have to be, I would say, too proud of. No, we did it so well, so my idea is good. It's just because they did it wrong uh, last week. Uh, we're not gonna change. We're gonna analyze because it's not only. Of course, analyze the behavior of the player, but we need to talk. We need to think maybe, okay, maybe we have to make some adjustment because this is a special game, and we need to be a little bit more special. Yeah, be fresh in their minds this week. Yeah, after Vanny's mm-hmm. session with them. Hey, what was your message coming out of the game to the team, and what will be the message going into the game, Vanny? The message coming out of the game was, uh, guys, we actually did okay. We considered three goals on defensive set plays, so it, that's unacceptable. But the game was actually. If we talk about the game, they had less shot than us from open play. We had more XG than us from them from open play. We played like them. So that's uh, so. What we need to do next game is to do the best play, the best game of the season, and it's pretty simple. Because mm-hmm. if we do the best game of the season, we win, and uh, and then we go to the third game that is uh, really all or nothing. And uh, I think in the third game, the pressure is again on them more than on us because mm-hmm. they big spender um uh, reigning champions whatever they are like uh, uh, i don't know uh, Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez at the stadium whatever and uh, Justin so Bieber's cheering for you though he's not cheering for the LA team he's canadian come on i uh, yeah. no he's, he's from toronto so it's, it's <laughs> <more true>. So that's uh, so that's um, uh, like uh, uh, that. The pressure is back on them, and I think uh, uh, 
the winning Sunday, boom, is, is going to bring a lot of confidence in order to go on Thursday and try to make the upset. Well, that, that was going to be my follow-up question here, Vanny. You mentioned they're the reigning league champions. They spend all this money. They're in a huge market. They have all this celebrity ownership. And yet you have consistently built your club up this year. You have consistently told us, guys, we've got a good team here and, and, and yeah. tried to imbue them with confidence. Can you play the underdog card? With your group, do you guys feel like underdogs at this stage? I don't think we feel like underdogs. I think we we are, I would say, aware of our identity. Like we'll never be like uh, like LAFC. We'll never be like Miami. We'll never be not even like Toronto. That is, those are team builds on superstars, and there's nothing wrong with that. Eh? Don't don't get me. Uh, don't, so I don't want to be mis, uh, misunderstood. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I would love to have Messi and Buanga. So that's the, but that's okay. Like, um, uh, so we we know that we are a different team. We are built in a different way. We are building a, in a way where uh, because of the market, because of everything, because of the philosophy of the club, uh, the team and the collective comes first. I actually think, to be honest, that that's one of the reasons why I fit well with this team. I don't think between me and you that I would that I would be the best coach to coach a team of superstar. I have to, uh, uh, that's uh, that that's that's what I think of me. So we are aware of who we are, and we know that uh, if there's a sport where one man cannot win the game by himself, that's soccer. So yeah, we know that if we collectively we play a better game than them, we'll win. Just to make you to like a little synopsis. They didn't win because they have Buanga, and Buanga scored two goals, and it was very good. They won because we did mistakes. That's different. What, what's at stake for you and and the, the 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 team, like the organization, is is big on Sunday. Not because you advance, because you don't even advance with the win, but you're going to have a great crowd there. Yeah. If you win in front of that great crowd, you 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 put all these great memories into all these fans. There's you know, maybe forty or fifty thousand fans are about to go see Christine Sinclair say goodbye uh, at BC Play Stadium in the next few weeks. The World Cup's coming. Do you feel like you know th- there's an opportunity to sink a hook into a city that's ready to be a soccer fan here right now? Is is the, is the ground fertile to to earn some soccer fans with a big win on Sunday? Yeah, totally. Because uh, in any case, it goes the third game. If we win and we do a g- good spectacle on uh, on Sunday. We know that we leave our uh, fan with very good memories going to Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Tuesday to, to February, uh, going to February, and uh, when we start the season again, and we'll have a Champions League game, we'll have the MLS again, and then, as you said, uh, we have also the possibility to build on that with some international game with the. With the last game of Christine Sinclair in uh, in December, we know about the World Cup this season. I think we already did a very good job with winning again the Canadian Championship, qualifying for the playoff, playing well. So, I think that uh, hopefully, I know that Sunday we will have a huge crowd. Probably the whole lower bowl will be sold out, and uh, I think it's also an, uh, a massive opportunity for us to to show how good we are to the fans, to the entire city, and to maybe capture some more diehard fans and not occasional fans that they just come for for, for the playoff game. Uh, last question for me, unless you have no, any others. I started talking uh, about his uh, 
famous home is Vancouver t-shirt. Are you wearing a Vanny t-shirt today? Yes, Vanny Coover t-shirt. Yes. Vanny, Vanny Coover. Very good. Very good. I like the style of lettering, too. It's not too dissimilar from ours. Very, yeah. Yes. So where do you get all your shirts for those who want to uh, follow it? So that's, um, uh, we did a thing with uh, a local company that is called Ole Originals. So we did a thing because I like their shirts because they, they, and I just was, I was wearing their shirt because they have a lot of shirt with the, referring to Vancouver and to the different area of Vancouver and the British Columbia. Mm -hmm. So they contacted me and say, why don't we do a partnership? And I say, okay, let we can set up something for, for a good, for a good thing, for a charity. So we did a mm -hmm. partnership and with this three shirt of my, this one, the other one that, that says Andiamo and the other one that just with a Lionsgate bridge would say, Van instead of Vancouver, and all the proceeds, twenty five percent of the proceeds that uh, of this uh, of this uh, the sale of this T shirt, they go to the BCSCPA for the for the animal shelter, and ah. uh, and uh, yeah, I, they told me it's going it's going well too, so yeah. it's nice. The only uh, thing is that the the. Uh, league uh, forbid to wear any T-shirt with message for during the playoffs. So I don't know why. Oh. And, uh, that's, the re that's the reason why I was wearing the the my I would say almost boring sleeveless jacket last week. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say, coach. You know the style game on the sidelines, but yeah. uh, first of all, yeah. BCS, I, BCA. I, I hope I hope that I can bring at least the home is Vancouver for Sunday because. Uh, I want to really feel that we are at home and we can we can be mm -hmm. connected. Yeah, it's yeah. Good. Well, yeah. BCSPCA charity near and dear to us. One of our big sponsors, Yellow Dog, has made them their patron. And uh, boy, you're doing deals with local companies. You're on stage with Nickelback. I mean, <laughs> you just blend in every crowd. Vancouver is right. Vanny Sartine. Vanny Coover is it. Yeah. Thank you for this, Coach. Best of luck on Sunday, and we're delighted to have you back here for the next couple of years. Thank you. Thank you, guys. See you soon. Bye bye. Ciao. Secure some price from Wall Center presentation Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message in inbox. Great clips. It's gonna be great. Results of yesterday's Bodog poll question. Do you want to see the Canucks in another stadium series game? Good voting on this. More than 1,100 votes. What did the people say, yes or no? Uh, they said yes. Indeed. What percentage said 65. yes? 65. 59 hmm. said yes. Surrey Ryan says yes, just not at BC Place. Hassan from Burnaby wouldn't mind seeing them as a visitor. See, everybody's thinking roadie here. Sean says don't care. Joe says, just for the fact that it would mean the team is relevant again. Sean says he doesn't care, but he still commented. So he actually does care. <laughs> and uh, Beans says, yes, but Demko has to start. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when Eddie Lack started the uh, outdoor game? Anyways. <laughs> Let's get to errors and omissions from yesterday's program and beyond. Uh, first of all, great acknowledging he wasn't listening when we throw to him on our goaltender. <laughs> he's our goaltending yeah. guy. Normally, whenever we turn the conversation to goaltending, the ears perk right up. 
and he invests himself. But he had to be called on in this matter. Here's here's the thing, too. Um, you, you never let the listener know that you're not listening, even if you weren't. Mm-hmm. Like, fine. Just play it cool. Yeah. Like, I heard, I understand Kiss is coming here for a concert. And one of the things I've heard Gene Simmons say in the past is that when you're on stage, you should be. You should be soliciting all eyeballs on you. Right. And if you happen to hit a sour note when all eyeballs are on you, make it sound and make it look like it was the coolest sour note ever. Like, almost it was yeah. intentional. Yeah. That's I'm, right. I'm I honest. played a sour note. But guess what? You're still looking at me. Bob Ross, sort of beautiful oops. Happy sort of accidents. Yeah, yeah. From Bob Ross. Yeah. I'm honest to a fault. And then our... Uh, and I honestly think at this point we have to give Yerky a title. Director of Errors and Omissions, Manager of Errors and Omissions, you tell me. Commissioner. Commissioner. I mm, like wow. it. Wow. So well, wow. That's, that's high up. come with a uh, salary yeah. bump? Any submission into the inbox must be first approved <laughs> by Commissioner Yerky. <laughs> and this one was dangling from last week, and so good on Yerky for uh, calling us on it. Part of an audit. What? He's part of an audit. Yeah. Yeah, He he audited last week just to make sure he didn't miss anything. (laughs) Well done. Um, We knew that there was some sort of connection between the Minnesota North Stars and the San Jose Sharks in the Sharks expansion era. Yeah. You mentioned you thought it was some sort of common ownership. I threw out the name Norm Green, who was at one point a a North Stars owner. Yerke corrects. The ownership links between the Sharks and the North Stars wasn't Norm Green. It was the Gund Brothers. And this all came back to me once he said it. They were minority owners in the California Seals. They sold the team that moved to Cleveland, the Barons, before eventually merging with the North Stars. They wanted to move Minnesota to the Bay Area. Yeah. This is pre the move to Dallas. I remember that part, yeah. And the league made a deal where instead of moving their team, they could get an expansion team as part of the deal – they got to take a bunch of North Stars players so to weird. San Jose. Yeah, very weird. And they got to participate in the expansion draft. Minnesota got to ex- participate in the expansion draft alongside San Jose. That part Minnesota I don't remember. Minnesota got players. Minnesota got players, including, as your notes, a retired Guy Lafleur that they drafted and traded back to the Quebec Nordiques. Uh, again, it's the NHL behaving like a backwater uh, I, I was, uh, was going to say, like if, if you laid that scenario out in today's day and age. The rest of the sporting world will look at you with absolutely. like you had 10 heads. Well done, Yerky. Time for Blake's Bodog line of the day. Bodog, your source for casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. Who you like, what you got? Uh, back to the tennis world for me. Uh, Felix Ogier, you seem fresh off that Basel win. Yeah, Pat, partner up. This is a formidable doubles duo now with Sebastian Corda, another very good player, uh, son of Peter Corda, of course. Um, today they're taking on Baez and Musetti. Meh. Uh, go Aliasim and Corda to win two love in doubles. Pays out a plus 121. On your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, follow us and Rinkwide wherever you subscribe, wherever you get your podcast, then follow on social Twitter, Insta, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. And, of course, support those community sponsors we keep telling you about. Keep it local.